You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. And you are back with Kevin and Jesse. This is Grab Them by the Pod. And boy, do we've got a lot of talk to you about tonight. Jesse, what's going on out there in the world of politics? Oh, well, there is big, big news that happened right before we started recording. But before we get there, we want to address something just really quickly. Uh, it's about our podcast. Sorry for uh, being all about us. But sometimes, you know, it's one for you, one for us. Uh, we, I want to thank everybody, by the way, for all the awesome reviews on iTunes. It's been fantastic. We've gotten so many over the last few weeks. Uh, we had one, though, uh, last week that said they really enjoy us. But even the fact that they're a big liberal, they found that we're a bit biased. So I wanted to say, first of all, thank you for your review and your honesty. I really appreciate it. Second of all, I don't think we're necessarily biased because there's a difference between being biased and having a point of view. Uh, being biased means you're just against somebody or a prejudice against something just because of who they are. But we, I think, take what we say based on facts, on research. So, you know, we're anti-Trump, but not just because he's Trump or because he's a Republican or whatever. We're against him because of the crazy things he says and the policies that he has. Right. And we are not necessarily trying to be a nightly newscast. I am not Walter Cronkite. You're not Peter Jennings. So we're not just trying to, you know, bring you the five W's of news. This is a political talk show, if you will. So we are including in this some of our thoughts, some of our opinions. But as you said, Jesse, we are also backing it up with fact. We do a lot of research. It takes a lot of time. Trust me, I'd much rather be able to pull this off, you know, quickly, you know, the minute I get home from my my day-to-day job, but it takes me some time to research and get the facts and get the numbers and get the data to be able to back up my opinion. So I, I take great pride in that. I mean, we're not crazy. We know that we skew left a bit. But you know, just look at some of the things that have happened in the last day or so. Like today, Dan uh, Scavino Jr., the White House de- uh, Director of Social Media, tweeted out a caption of uh, Huma calling Kellyanne Conway a cell phone uh, ahead of Hillary's concession. That's just ridiculous. There's no need for that. It's petty and an amateur move. Um, also, the Obama White House uh, set a policy to eliminate harsh punishments for low-level drug crimes. And Jeff Sessions, of course, today announced that he wants to roll that back and not seek mandatory minimums in these cases. You know, drugs are illegal. You should be punished for that them. Um, well, that's up for debate. But throwing the book at somebody for having a little pot, the punishment uh, should meet the crime. And these criticisms, in my view, at least, are not biased. It's just human decency uh, from what we see. Correct. We'd be happy to praise the president if he were to give us something to praise him for. It's, it's not simply that we're looking to put him down and discredit him. I mean, I would leave that to the other party. We all remember Mitch McConnell saying that he was out to make President Obama a one-term president. That's bias. When you are, from the beginning, looking to discredit anything the other side says simply because of the party they're from and because they have differences from you. That's not what we're in this for. We simply want to hold the president accountable and our leaders should be held accountable. So now we've had our say there, sorry uh, for that again. Let's get to the huge news that came out today. Um, about an hour or so, maybe maybe an hour and a half ago, uh, we found out that the Trump administration has fired FBI Director James Comey. Uh, this coming while there's still an active investigation into the administration, their connections to uh, Russia and, and all that fun stuff. Uh, the senior justice and FBI officials apparently were unaware that this is coming and were shocked at this firing. Uh, Jeb, Jeff Sessions and, and the deputy attorney general recommended that uh, Comey be fired. 
And Trump sent out a letter today saying, well, I greatly appreciate you informing me on three separate occasions, he made sure that was in there, uh, that I'm not under investigation. I nevertheless concur with the Department of Justice that you are not able to effectively lead the Bureau. Uh, the joke about this all, if you, if you read the, the longer letter from the uh, Department of Justice, he basically is being fired, they say at least, because he was mean to Hillary. They, they didn't like how he handled the Hillary Clinton email investigation and a press conference back in July, which is ridiculous because Trump was quoting that press conference throughout his uh, campaign. He was screaming, lock her up. Uh, it sounds really like they were just looking for a reason to get rid of him, and now they have. Well, as we've said before, when the wind blows Trump's direction and things are good for him, he's going to go with it. And when it swings the other way, then he's going to be on the attack. But I think, Jesse, it's also important to point out the letter goes on to say this, the letter from Trump to Comey, that it is essential that we find new leadership for the FBI that restores public trust and confidence in its vital law enforcement mission. Considering he took this recommendation from Attorney General Jeff Sessions Wow, pot calling Kettle Black here. Yeah, let's remember Jeff Sessions had recused himself from all things Russia. So I guess this is a, a runaround or a go around to still be able to uh, take care of things. Now, there's a lot of things on the Internet. You can't believe everything you see. Some people are saying uh, some some action was imminent. Who knows? We don't have any proof of that. Uh, but if you look, people on both sides are like, what the hell is going on? Like Senator Dick Durbin, uh, he's hearing that the attorney general uh, – well, he won't, he actually won't. He's not hearing anything. The attorney general won't say uh, whether the FBI will continue to investigate the Russia Trump ties. Uh, GOP senators like McCain, Burr, Corker, they're all like, what the heck's going on? This doesn't they can't use strong language, but they're you know, saying this does not look good. And uh, one of the members, uh, you know, anonymously, one of the members of the uh, House Intel Committee is saying this is going to slow down. Congress's investigation. So who knows where this goes from here? I mean, is Sean Spicer going to have the guts to have a press conference tomorrow? Or is he just going to, you know, be radio silent? I don't know. I, I would love, I mean, for your sake, I know how much you love to watch uh, Sean Spicer's press crazy. conferences. But, uh, you know, this is just another example of political diversion. And that is something that, if anything, you know, to give Trump some credit here, what's he good at? Well, he's good at diversion. And this, to me, just seems like another episode of political diversion here to get everybody's attention off of what's actually happening in the investigation by removing the person who was a centerpiece of the investigation, which is going to slow everything down. And who knows where we go from here? I mean, Senator Casey called it Nixonian. If you look back at some of the things that happened during the Watergate scandal, kind of parallels what's happening now. You have to wonder who's going to who's going to replace him. They need 51 votes, so that'll pass in the Senate. You assume, although with some of the reaction, maybe, maybe they won't. But is it going to be like a Trump lackey? Uh, is it going to be like Chris Christie, something like that? That's just going to get in there and close the book on the uh, investigation. Um, or are they going to get like they need a special counsel or a special prosecutor to really move forward on this Russia case because you can't trust. Anybody they appoint. I, I really I just can't trust them. Kenneth Starr, are you available? <laughs> yeah, what's he doing right now? What do you say? He was, was he at Clemson? Is that what you, you told me? Baylor. Once, he was at Baylor, Baylor. but he, he actually Baylor. lost his job as the president of Baylor because they had some scandals of their own. You know, it, it's so funny as we came into this podcast because we had Comey on here. We were going to talk about uh, him being at uh, in front of the Senate last week at a hearing, and you scheduled, actually, I think for Thursday. Uh, Marco Rubio made a kind of lighthearted comment, like, well, I guess it's going to be difficult to get him in front of us on Thursday now because uh, it was his committee. But we had a whole thing we were going to talk about Comey and his reasoning behind what he did uh, back uh, back in October and November with Hillary. But I guess that that's not really important anymore because he's he gone, as, yeah. as they say. 
Yeah, getting fired trumps, pun intended, whatever he had to say in his hearing. And coming out of the White House, apparently White House officials, you know, are shocked that this is big news. They didn't, you know, foresee any big news coming out on this, not, not being a big deal. When it comes to Comey, you either get rid of him at the beginning of the administration or you have to let him in there, I think, and follow through to the end. I mean, people are saying, well, Democrats hated Comey, then liked him, then hated him, and liked back and forth. But at this point, Comey, love him or hate him, is deeply involved in the investigation into the administration and Russia. And to get rid of him now, it, it just it does not pass the smell test. No. And the Democrats were you know, against him, obviously, because they feel as if he cost him the election. But then once Trump was sworn in as president, they seemed to swing back a little bit in his favor because he seemed to be a bit of an independent voice, especially after the whole wiretapping claims where he kind of uh, countered the president saying that he saw nothing that really uh, was evidence of any real wiretapping. So who knows what's going to happen now? Comey was three years into a 10-year term. It's anybody's game now as to what's going to happen. I just hope that it does not slow down any of the process of this investigation, which needs to continue. Because if there is any foul play involving the Russians in our election, that is the worst possible scenario. We need to get to the bottom of this, and we need to be able to move forward. Well, you know who he's going to pick to replace him, don't you? There's only one option if you look at uh, how he's been handling the administration so far. Obviously, Jared Kushner is going to be the new head and director of the FBI. He does everything else. Why can't he fix that as well? Of course. Why not? If you go to the uh, fake news website of uh, CNN, uh, they actually have um, a pretty I, I tweeted out earlier this uh, today, I think. They have a really great page where they have all of the people in the Trump administration or related to the Trump administration who have kind of ties to Russia. And you click on them and it just shows you in a little graph who they're, who they're attached to, how they're attached. I think it's pretty interesting. And there's a lot more people on there than I thought. And I pay attention to this stuff. It's almost, uh, what do you call those things? And I apologize out there if there's any Russian listeners that uh, are offended by this. Those stacking dolls. The Russian nesting dolls. Yes, the nesting dolls, right? It's almost like that. We keep peeling back layers and layers and layers only to find that, yet again, there's one more connection between the Trump campaign or the Trump staff and the Russians. It's a riddle wrapped in an enigma inside of a clue or whatever the hell they say. Uh, And... This initially wasn't going to be our big story of the day. Our big story, which happened on, on Friday, was going to be the health care reform. Was it Friday? No, it was, it was even earlier than that, wasn't it? Got, you know, all these days start coming together after a while, and I forget exactly when. It was a very sad day. But uh, health care reform passed out of the House uh, last week. And, you know, we, we said it was on Thursday. I know for a fact it was on Thursday because I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, said, you know, I was listening to your podcast on Thursday, and you guys didn't think it was going to pass and then it passed, and I was like, what the heck? I go, well, we did record that on a Tuesday, so you can't hold that against us. True, uh, and we've been wrong before. <laughs> I mean, but we should know better by now, right? After the election in November, we should know better than to you know, make these predictions about anything political. And, you know, this <laughs> anything can be expected in the Trump administration and this current uh, political climate. And by the way, not to be accused of fake news. No, it was Friday. It wasn't Thursday, so I was wrong there. And I should know because I was on Twitter uh, basically lobbying Congress all day on on uh, Friday through uh, the people who I guess were the, uh, I guess the moderates of people on the edge. And I guess, I guess it didn't work, unfortunately. Uh, but and again, that's a case we're not doing it because we think, uh, you know, it's Trump. We're doing it because it's not a good bill. We've, we've talked 
you know, for countless uh, minutes on previous podcasts about why we are against this. So I don't think we have to go into that again. Um, but, uh, you know, what was your feeling when you saw that it passed? I'm not going to lie. It was kind of a, a sinking feeling that, you know, again, our leadership, our, our politicians who are supposed to represent the best interests of all people had let us down. Uh, and again, you know, not to go into it too deeply, but, you know, we've said on here before that you don't get rid of the entirety of a bill just because it had some missing parts or, or some bad parts. You fix what's broken. But the general structure of what was there of providing more Americans with the vital health insurance that they need was not a bad thing. So to throw the baby out with the bathwater, it just it gave me a, a sad feeling, a, a sickening uh, feeling in the pit of my stomach. Yeah, I, I thought they might stop it again, but it was not meant to be a pass. I mean, it was close, but not really close. It was uh, 217 to 213. Uh, this is a situation where uh, you make sure you have enough votes, then you let some of the people in the purple districts kind of vote against it because it'll help them out. But there was no CBO score. Uh, I mean, the last CBO score sucked. This version had no CBO score. And what pushed it over um, was Congressman Fred Upton, who I like to point out is uh, the uncle to supermodel Kate Upton. Yeah, he should have so, left that as his claim to fame. <laughs> um, he put out uh, an amendment. Uh, so one of the big things with the uh, American Health Care Act is that it allows states to opt out of rules to prevent insurance companies from denying coverage or charging more for uh, people with pre-existing conditions. Uh, his up, his, uh, up, his uh, amendment, Upton's, uh, gives $8 billion in assistance to reduce premiums or out-of-pocket costs for this kind of stuff. Uh, but the nonpartisan Brookings Institution predicts it's going to cost like $500 billion. So, I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous when you're talking about this kind of money, but $8 billion is nothing when it comes to what it's going to cost. Um, but it didn't matter to the uh, House GOP. They they were wheeling in beer before the vote to celebrate, and then they went over to the White House and partied with the president in the Rose Garden. Well, the Upton Amendment, according to Robert Grabois, who's a fellow at George Mason's Mercatus Center, uh, in an interview with The Hill, uh, he called it a pittance. And that's truly what it is. And he says, a pittance uh, to the fifth power when it, it's uh, divided up. Now, Larry Levitt, at the Kaiser Family Foundation estimated that that $8 billion covers about 160,000 people. Uh, Karen Politz, also at Kaiser, says that it's 220,000. The liberal-leaning Center for American Progress says it's more like 76,000 people that that $8 billion can cover. So it really is small potatoes when it comes down to it. That $8 billion needed to be a lot more, but it was enough to get the votes necessary to pass the American Health Care Act through the Republican-controlled Congress. I mean, I told the story about when I used to lobby Capitol Hill and I would ask for like $5 million and they'd laugh at me because it was nothing. Um, this is a lot more, but it's still nothing, I guess, in the grand scheme of what they're going to use it for. Uh, so what did you think? So when it passed, the Republicans cheered, the Democrats started singing, na, 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 hey, goodbye. I guess saying they think that this is going to be uh, you know, the end of them. They've shot themselves in the foot. They're going to get voted out in 2018. It's been sung before. In, 2000, or in 1993, the Democrats voted to raise the taxes, and the Republicans sang it, and you know they took over Congress not soon after. So personally, I don't think it's a good look. Uh, it's, it's sad, but people are going to be without health care pretty soon, but uh, you know they felt they needed to taunt. Uh, how, did you, how did you read that? I understand. I, I completely agree with you. I think it's a little bit tacky to do that. But that being said... In light of the fact that this is such, you know, would seem to be a defeat for the Dems, that they have to make this into a bit of a rallying cry. So if that's what it takes, then hopefully that means that they can now get out there, campaign on this, 
and try to take back some seats in the House in 2018. That's what they're gearing up for is to take back control of the House of Representatives and, and hopefully the Senate that, you know, this maybe will be the turning point that allows them to go out there and, and change the votes, change the tide. Yeah, I've, I've never been the biggest fan of Nancy Pelosi for a, for a number of reasons, uh, but she had a pretty good speech going into the vote, basically saying, you know, this, is, this vote's going to be tattooed on you. You're going to be radioactive. Uh, you can't get this stink off. So we're going to have to wait and see. I said uh, November, November 6, 2018 will be here before you know it. That's uh, the next uh, congressional election day, so we'll see what happens. Um, but in the time since this passed, over the weekend and the last uh, day or so, people are going home. Uh, they're back in their districts. Some people are holding uh, these town halls, and they're not going so well. Some people are saying dumb things. Uh, at a town hall, represent, <laughs> Representative Raul Labrador, I, I know somebody used to work for him, actually, uh, said nobody dies because they don't have access to health care, uh, which he walked back soon after because he got yelled at pretty bad. By the way, he's running for um, Idaho governor. Uh, there's been some talk about, oh, don't worry, uh, no one's going to use this waiver and opt out. No, no, our, our good friend uh, from Wisconsin, Governor Scott Walker, has already said he, he'd consider opting his state out of the pre-existing conditions rule, because why not? Um, and then you know, Representative Chris Collins read the didn't read the bill. He admitted that, said, oh, my staff did, and then found out on the air or in an interview that his district is going to get screwed more than, than most. So it's it's telling to see that people don't know what's in this bill. Um, I know they go back to the Nancy Pelosi quote from from the ACA saying, you know, we have to vote for it to see what's in it. But uh, we're having that problem all over again. What's more telling is that Representative Collins admits the fact that he didn't read a bill. And now this is common, right, that staff members are often the ones that brief representatives on what's in particular legislation. But he's willing to admit that he didn't read this bill and that now he finds out his district might be particularly hard hit. And yet he is comfortable enough in saying that with his reelection chances. You know, it is to me, you know, why more people don't pay attention to these things when they go to vote, but they'll remember his name, the name recognition alone and, and the incumbency record will we'll put him right back in Washington, despite the way he voted on this bill and despite the fact that he was unprepared for the vote. And I think a staffer is probably going to get fired <laughs> come this week because they didn't tell me. You know, it's not uncommon for them not to read the bill. That's what the staffers are there for. I used to always say Washington, D.C. is being run by 20, 20 and 30 year olds. Uh, but I mean, today, this is the craziest thing that um, a congressman from Iowa, Rod Blum, he actually walked out of a out of an interview because he didn't have the questions, went to his town hall and just got screamed at. So this is happening all over the place. Uh, and I say, let them have it. Uh, they made their bed and they have to lie in it. Lie in it. Um, it you have to pay for the votes you make, whether it's good or bad. Uh, you know, that's what happens. But the good news is, Kevin, this bill doesn't necessarily matter because uh, the Senate will likely just throw a whole bunch of this out, and they're going to start fresh. Uh, they're going to wait for a CBO score. Uh, that'll be nice. And, you know, Trump was celebrating like it was done. Like he he was saying, "I I got rid of Obamacare." No, you didn't. You're like less than halfway there. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, exactly how much time the Senate puts into this, and if some of the moderate uh, Republicans or some Republicans in uh, tough re-election states are going to be able to actually pass this. President Trump may have, as you said, celebrated a little too soon because there's a chance that no bill ever makes it to his desk, right? The way that our process works is that the same bill has to pass both houses, all right? So the compromised bill that has to pass both houses before it can get to the president to be signed into law. And clearly the Senate has already made it uh, plain as day that they're going to make changes to this. They're going to put forth their own bill. Now, will that be able to carry over to the House and pass there? Or will certain groups, Freedom Caucus, the moderates, will they 
have problems with the things coming from the Senate and start the process all over again. So there is a good chance that no bill ends up on President Trump's desk and certainly not the one that passed the House of Representatives. Uh, though I think we can be clear that any bill that lands on Trump's desk, he will sign. It could, say, it could take health care away from everybody in America. He, he just sign it, it's out, it's done. So some of the things that might lead, or might change in the Senate bill, there's like five or six things. Um, I, was, I was reading a couple of good articles on this. Uh, they're probably going to add, the Senate will probably add more tax credits for low-income people because uh, right now, I, I couldn't believe this when I read it, uh, the CBO found that in the House bill, a single 64-year-old making $26,000 a year I would have to pay uh, more than $14,000 a year in premium. That's more than half of their salary. Now, I know uh, that may not necessarily be common in older folks. I, I, who knows? It's, I, I haven't run those numbers. But that's insane to think that uh, someone making that little money will have to spend that larger percentage of their, of their uh, income. But these are the, exactly the details that President Trump doesn't concern himself with. He speaks, as we know, in broad generalities all the time. He doesn't concern himself with the details. But the details are what actually impact the citizens. It's what impacts us. And as as you said, you know, this is more than half of that single 64-year-old's yearly income. And in, in what world is that okay for something as basic and a, as much of a right as healthcare should be? Sadly, it seems like it's this world. <laughs> um, one of the things I think is really going to get to them is the whole Medicaid expansion thing. I mean, um, Medicaid expansion, it's covering an estimated 9.6 million more people now. And if that ends in 2020, oh, my God, some people are going to be ticked off. And there's a lot of uh, senators like Dean Heller in, in states that uh, they rely on things like Medicaid. And if you get it out, if you get rid of that, again, you're, you're going to be kicked to the curb faster than you can uh, uh, say you're going to the vote. And this is where a lot of those people back in the home districts that are going to these town hall meetings with their representatives, this is what they're getting upset about because – they didn't believe or, or understand that that was what was going to be cut when they voted for Donald Trump, especially for those that did vote for him. That now that it's, you know, it's coming to call that this this is what's going to happen. They're going to lose some of the benefits that they've been living off of that, that sustain them for the past however many years. And now with those things being threatened to be pulled away, they are upset and rightfully so. And this is why they need to let their representation know it. Yeah, and they're obviously going to do something about the fact that uh, you know, 24 million people could be without coverage. I mean, the CBO score has got to be infinitely better uh, than the House version from the move forward. I can't imagine them moving forward with something that's so negative, both from the CBO and, and to the public. But I, I think one of the things you have to keep an eye on is this whole pre, pre-existing conditions and essential health benefits uh, deal. Uh, they kind of go hand in hand at certain parts. Uh, I saw Senator Bill Cassidy, who I disagree with on a lot of things, but he was on uh, Jimmy Kimmel uh, on Monday night, and he, he has something he calls the Jimmy Kimmel test, um, wants to make sure that you know somebody who's not Jimmy Kimmel but had a son or a daughter uh, in the exact same position as his uh, could, get, could get covered. Um, he was saying a lot of the right things on the show. I, I don't necessarily know if I believe... Uh, you know he'll live up to those, but but I like hearing that because uh, people with pre- when you when you started reading you know pregnancy could be a pre-existing condition, um, you know uh, a, a C-section could be a diabetes, all these things that uh, suddenly people are in big trouble. And then when the essential health benefits aren't going to be covered, so you're not covering things like maternity care, uh, mental health uh, treatment. I mean these are things that people have, have come to rely on. And you can't, it's been said time and time, you can't give these things to people and then take them away. It's Once it's there, it's there, at least in my opinion. You know, Money Magazine this week cited the Kaiser Family Foundation uh, about what 
types of things would be considered pre-existing conditions. And according to law previ- uh, prior to, excuse me, the Affordable Care Act, things such as pregnancy, as you mentioned, including expectant fathers, could be denied coverage because of that being considered a previously existing condition. But things like arthritis, diabetes, anxiety, obesity, Parkinson's disease, and even transsexualism were considered pre-existing conditions that would preclude you from being able to access health insurance or at least affordable health insurance. And you know, I think it's important to point out that pre-existing conditions, keeping people from accessing health insurance is like price gouging after a natural disaster. You know, I I lived in Houston, Texas in the Hurricane Katrina slash Hurricane Rita time period. And I saw what price gouging means when they mark up things like water at a convenience store because it's a human need and people want to get it and they mark the prices up. And I also saw people resort to violence to get that because they weren't going to be denied such a basic thing. And I'm not suggesting that there should be riots in the streets over this, but it's something that should make us wake up and pay attention. And when it comes to somebody's family or their children, uh, you know, they'll do anything to make sure they're taken care of. And sometimes that uh, results in violence. And I'm never one to uh, excuse that. But this is a situation that can be easily averted if they just had a had a better bill or keep keep versions of the current bill. I mean, we say it over and over and over again. And you know, it just makes me sick to keep saying it. But it has to be said uh, until you know the final bill is either defeated or passed. We have to keep saying these things. Well, and it's ridiculous. If we put the ball in the court of the health insurance companies to make the decision as to who gets coverage and who doesn't, you know, things as simple as acne and high blood pressure kept people from health care prior to the Affordable Care Act. Do we really want to get back to that as our as our policy? You know, it's health insurance companies operate as a business. They're trying to make the most out of or get the most money that they possibly can. And if we put this on them, well, it makes perfect sense that they would operate it this way to make more money, that they would deny people coverage. That's why the law needed to exist in the first place. And that's why, while it may have been flawed, it was not, it, it, it should still be in place. There needs to be something that protects people's human rights to health care. And due to my current circumstances, I'm going to refrain from saying anything about insurance companies. Might be a good idea. <laughs> so let's move on. Uh, not wanting to let Comey get a one-up on her, uh, Sally Yates came back to the Hill again, too. Uh, and this has been a fun time for her, I'm sure. Uh, before Sally Yates, uh, she was the acting. Uh, what was she? She was the acting attorney general, um, and they, right, and they got rid of her because you know she she disagreed with the policy with the travel ban. Um, policy. So uh, Monday morning, Trump tweeted out, asked Sally Yates under oath if she knows how classified information got to the newspaper soon after she explained it to the White House counsel. Uh, so he's basically implying that she leaked. Uh, when when Sean Spicer was asked about that, he's like, well, I, I think the, the president's quote uh, or tweet stands for itself, speaks for itself. He's just saying, you know, ask her. He's not accusing her of anything. Yeah, OK. It's ridiculous. Well, and Donald Trump doesn't want to take blame for anything. He doesn't take blame no. for the Mike Flynn fiasco. And that really is because as he built himself, he's an outsider. He really does not know much about Washington or the way it works or how any of being president should uh, should be. And he takes information from his advisors and he just naturally thinks that they're steering him the right direction. That's dangerous in and of itself, because now we're putting a lot of power in the hands of people like Mike Flynn to, to steer the president. But, 
you know, when you are the president, the buck stops with you. So you need to take responsibility. It was your hire. Naturally, you need to take responsibility for that. But no, no, it's Obama's fault. Uh, you know, he should have he should have looked into Flynn before Trump uh, hired him. That's that's what Trump keeps saying. Uh, but it's been said that Obama himself uh, told in that meeting after the election when they're both in the Oval Office and Obama looks like he's on death's door, just wants to cry. He warned Trump against uh, you know hiring uh, Flynn, although Trump was like, ah, oh, you know, Flynn was against Hillary, so he probably just doesn't want me to hire him because of that. No, I mean, the, when you're in the Oval Office, such petty things uh, shouldn't be the issue you're arguing about. But uh, it's, it's it's just ridiculous. So, anyways, to the actual hearing that happened, uh, most people stuck to the stuck to the script. Uh, they talked about uh, some of the Russia issues and and what she saw when she was there, uh, and so on and so forth. But of course, you know, some of the usual suspects had to pop up. Senator Cornyn had to admonish her and say how disappointed he was uh, that he that she opposed the travel ban. And of course, Yates had to bring up that air confirmation hearing. Cornyn himself asked her if she would push back on something the president did uh, if she believed it was unlawful or unconstitutional. Because I'm assuming Cornyn, like all of us, thought it was going to be Clinton in the White House. Um, and then, of course. You know, our buddy Ted Cruz, Senator Cruz from Texas, um, spent most of his time talking about Hillary Clinton emails, which is you know old news has nothing to do with anything. And uh, you know, for lack of a better term, she made him look like a buffoon. Uh, it, it it's just sad when someone's up there on a serious matter to talk uh, about Russian interference in the election. These guys have to use it for their soapbox and try to catch her in a lie or something. Exactly. They they certainly showed their agenda. But you know, back to the idea that President Obama. Uh, didn't do anything about Mike Flynn. Well, he actually, it came out this past week that he did give warning to Donald Trump when they met shortly after the election took place in November that Mike Flynn might not be the best choice for national security advisor. And as a matter of fact, the Obama administration dismissed General Flynn as defense intelligence chief for what a former senior U.S. official who worked with Flynn in that role called insubordination. Flynn was also warned not to do have dealings with Russia or Turkey or any of the countries that he is now it's been outed that he did deal with. And yet he still went about that anyway. He was advised upon leaving his role in the military that even in his retirement from the military, he should not be dealing with those countries. And he did. So apparently insubordination is the name of his game. And so why should we be surprised? <laughs> and do you think insubordination would be a big deal to somebody who's a military man who is used to following the orders and having the ranks and having the level, uh, different levels of command. But apparently, you know, I guess it doesn't mean as much to him as we may have thought. Well, and power corrupts. It certainly does. We see that time and time again. I had to laugh today uh, watching Sean Spicer. Uh, you know, he, he goes on and on about things that are unsubstantiated, that they have no proof. You know, there's no proof that Russia has anything to do with our election or with Trump, so we shouldn't talk about it. Yet he was happy to uh, cite a rumor that Sally Yates uh, was a Hillary supporter. To me, it just makes it's it's crack reporting, of course, from from Sean Spicer and, and the White House press team. But it just shows how hypocritical they are. That uh, you know, rumors against Trump bad, rumors that help Trump good. It's very basic. Know. It is very very basic. Yikes. Well, before we move on, I want to just take a break here and uh, have a word from our fellow Ace Podcast Network uh, friends, Confession Radio. 
Welcome to Confession Radio, the show where people write in for advice. My name's Piers Ray. My name is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Bruce Wozniak. My name is Lenny Zuckerman. My name is Dr. Latrice Drain. My name is Dr. John McGrail. And my name is David Allen, creator and host of Confession Radio. Here at Confession Radio, we love to help other people. As you heard, some of the awesome elite team that we have that are willing to help you with your problems. Don't forget to visit the website, confessionradio.net. You can hear us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And also, we are featured on iHeartRadio. So stay tuned, because here comes Confession Radio. Confession Radio is for entertainment purposes only. So as we get to the end of the uh, the podcast, I want to really bring up that the 2020 campaign has really already started for, for president. Uh, Trump ran an ad or, or tried to run an ad about a week or so ago. Um, it was released uh, talking about his perceived wins uh, during the first 100 days. And it's so funny. Sometimes you ask that, uh, but 100 days don't matter. Other times, 100 days are very, very important. Uh, this ad blames the media for not covering all of his accomplishments and puts the word fake news over hosts from CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, PBS. Uh, so to nobody's surprise, these networks didn't want to run uh, an ad calling them fake news from the president. And now Trump is running around saying that this is an affront to freedom of speech. And, uh, you know, he continues to call it fake news. But, I mean, it, it's obvious that like, if, if I had something that was against Trump, it's not like um, Trump uh, Trump Tower would, would have a poster, uh, you know, it's lobby about that. It, it's You don't have to run things that are ridiculous like that. Well, the president certainly hasn't done himself any favors since, well, honestly, since running for office, but especially since taking office, as far as the media is concerned. So what does he expect that they're going to, you know, with welcoming open arms, they're going to say, oh, please let us run your ad. But in those hundred days, you know, in those ads, is he going to include the legal rulings that went against him? No, it's all, about the, it's all about the EOs that he can just sign and put out there. And then just doesn't mention that, that the court shoots them all down. It's, you know, yes, you got you got a, um, a person on the Supreme Court, but you also have a majority in both chambers. And uh, it's, it's been empty for about a year and a half or so now. So it's it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's, it's a big deal in what it represents, but it's not a big deal that he got it done so quickly. It's, he had all the all the pieces in place to do it. Well, and he can claim that the news is fake and that's why they're not covering all the good things that he's done. And his supporters believe that. But it's about educating the masses, the rest of everybody else, that that is it's not the case at all, that the news is covering what's going on and that perhaps Donald Trump just hasn't made all the right decisions himself. Perish the thought. Uh, well, The Hill uh, earlier this week uh, put out a list of, I, I, I had to stick this on here, a list, I think it was 43 potential people who may run in 2000 and, uh, 2020. Some of them are just, just ridiculous. Some of them, I think, are very big, uh, long shots. And some of them, I think, are realistic. So I want to go through them, some of them quickly with you, Kevin, and, and just get your thoughts. Um they had you know, Biden and Bernie are on there, but I think they're too old to run in four years. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree with you. As much as I was a Bernie guy back during the primaries, you know, at this point, he's going to be in his late 70s. And that's that's too old to be running the country. However, maybe some of his ideas can carry on. Yeah, he could be like an, an elder statesman, I guess, you know, pushing out the, his ideology of uh, – of uh, I guess the further end of the of the Democratic Party, uh, they had Martin O'Malley, but he was a non-factor in 2016. I can't imagine him being a big deal four years later. No, too much of a, a dud, so to speak. He's you know maybe has some great ideas, but he doesn't have like the charisma to uh, attract people to vote for him. 
I didn't put Bill de Blasio on here. Bill de Blasio is dealing with his own problems in New York City right now. Um, I don't actually think he'd be reelected there if he runs again. So I don't see the White House in his future. No, neither do I. Stick to running New York City. It's it's a microcosm in and of itself. It's it might as well be its own country. But I don't mean to be on the same page with him. If you disagree with me, please let me know. <laughs> no, I, I thus to this <laughs> point, I, I agree with you. I think when it comes to the realistic options, and maybe we'll have a better discussion, um, just to end quick, you know, Al Gore, Howard Dean, I go, what is this, 2000, 2004? I mean, their time is, is long past. Yeah! Yeah! We're going to Wisconsin! We're going! Ah! Um, you know, for actually, the excitement read, alone, maybe we can get some Howard Dean up, the, up here, but uh, no, it's past their time. And, and concerning that uh, Howard Dean scream, uh, 538, uh, before the election last year, actually put out like a mini documentary, uh, you know, audio podcast documentary, talking about that and how if you're in the room, you didn't hear it the same way you heard it on, on the mics. So it was very interesting about how, uh, you know, that kind of sunk his campaign to a certain degree. Uh, and finally, one of the options I thought was just really far-fetched was Keith Ellison. Um, he lost to Tom Perez uh, for the head of the DNC. I think the fact he's, he's he's Muslim. I personally don't have a problem with it, but I don't think America is ready to uh, to elect a Muslim president. No, certainly the Trump uh, half of the country is not. And they no. thought President Obama was they, – they thought he yeah. was a Muslim. Yeah, he, how how would they do an Muslim actual president. Muslim, right? <laughs> yeah. um, some of the far-out-there suggestions so, – so, Mark Zuckerberg, people have been making a case over the last uh, year or so or six months uh, that he's been making the rounds to certain areas and talking. But I mean, I don't see I mean, he doesn't have the charisma to be president personally. He's, he's so young. True. And but he's a successful businessman and that helped yeah. Donald Trump get elected. Yeah. And I actually asked um, some people this weekend. Um, those people being my parents, <laughs> if they would ever vote for Mark Zuckerberg for president. And my father said no. Then he thought about it goes, well, anybody but Trump, I would, yeah. So <laughs> I know where they're coming from. <laughs> the bar has um, been set awfully low. Yeah, really. Uh, Mark Cuban, this, they've been trolling Trump about this for a long time. Um, although there has been, I've heard a lot of people say that they think he actually would be a very um, a very good president, but who the hell knows? I mean, he's he's like... He's Trump light, and I actually mean that as as a compliment. I like I like uh, Mark Cuban. I don't think he's quite as nutty out there, but I, I don't see that happening. Neither do I. I think it's too lucrative to stay in business. And if anything, if Donald Trump serves as an example, I mean, look, he's recently said that he thought the job of president would be a little bit easier. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, and the, the final two, The Rock and Oprah. You know, I vote for The Rock. The Rock is great. Everybody loves The Rock. Uh, the, the Rock is to me now what Will Smith was like in 1996. You know, just everybody likes him. Like, great. But uh, that fades I fast with time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So on to some of the more realistic options. Um, first, I, I know you're a bigger fan of her than I am, although, you know. Wait a minute. I'm, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jess, before we get to that, how about this okay. one? Okay. Bring it on. Jimmy Carter. He still has four years of eligibility <laughs> remaining. <laughs> Let's bring him back. Well, he, he beat brain cancer somehow. I don't know what the hell happened there, but uh, oh man, could you could you even imagine? Like you know, take that Grover Cleveland. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm just throwing that out there. Food for thought. Yeah. Well, you never know. Uh, well, you know, George George Herbert Walker Bush could still do it too. That I guess. That's true. Uh, yes, uh, president, and vice president, team. Bring back some uh, some moderation in politics, both sides there of the was, aisle. I, I this could we could be onto something here. There was a movie that came out like twenty years ago with Jack Lemmon and um, James Gardner. 
where the, one had been president, you know, they had been president before, and they kind of got into some hijinks, and they ended up running as a ticket. But my but fellow had, Americans, decided, yes, yes, that's what it is. And I, I, the one thing I remember out of that movie is, um, I, I think it was Jack Lemmon. They said that you know, do you have any? Or maybe it was James Gardner said, uh, in their mind, the uh, lyrics to "Hail to the Chief" are "Hail to the Chief, I'm the Chief, and I need hailing." Hail, to, like, that's as good as any other ones, I guess. All right. On to the realistic ones, though. As I was stating, you're a bigger fan of hers than I am. Uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I would say she's too liberal to win, but I don't think any of that necessarily means anything uh, these days following the uh, Trump presidency. Right. It all depends on how much the backlash swings the other direction. Right. So we had this kind of conservative uh, anti-establishment movement that elected Trump. If these four years continue to go as they have, perhaps the pendulum swings back to the liberal side. And then maybe that combined with capitalizing on the women's movement that's picked up in the uh, Trump presidency, maybe she does have enough to get elected. I'm not so sure. You know, at this point in time, I see her as being a little bit too far left to get elected by the majority of the electorate. But we shall see in a few years time. And could you imagine like 16, 18 months of of Trump calling her Pocahontas on on national TV? What, she, what, she, uh, she said she had Native American background in one of her books, and it turns out it wasn't true. Was it, was that it? Something yeah, like that. something like, like you that. You know, they make it out to be a bigger lie than it really was. I, you know, I thought the Pocahontas, Pocahontas thing was kind of funny, like the first time when he was candidate Trump, but he's president now. He should probably stop that. Yeah. Um, so uh, the next name is uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, she's a new senator from California. Um, can a can a black woman win the presidency in America? Well, you know, I suppose in the post-Trump world that anything is possible. I, I see her as being too new, too inexperienced. But not only is she African-American, she's actually not African-American. She's Jamaican-American. And she's also oh. Indian-American. So she'd be the first Indian-American president as well. Bobby Jindal, take a seat. Yeah, sorry, Nikki Haley, sit down. Well, you know, I, I think uh, she, she, from what I hear, I don't know much about her. I've heard that she's pretty good at what she does. So she has, I think, a big future, but I think this is not the time. Um, Chris Murphy, you know, our wonderful senator from Connecticut, uh, the New York Post actually reported that uh, he was one of uh, four people that Steve Bannon uh, has hired consultants to look into their past and their backgrounds. So I don't know if they meet, think he's a uh, legitimate candidate or they just don't like hearing him squawk about Trump all the time and, and are trying to dig up some dirt on him. Well, he's made it a point to kind of be one of the spokesmen for the the anti-Trump movement within the Senate, uh, speaking out uh, at every chance he gets against any of the policies that seem to be uh, coming from uh, the Trump White House. But, you know, to me, Chris Murphy has had quite a meteoric rise. I can remember almost 15 years ago now when I was a lowly intern in the Connecticut General Assembly, and he was a young, upstart, 25-year-old state senator. So uh, it would be pretty exciting for me personally, to see him running for president. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure. We'll see how these next couple of years go. He's certainly making a name for himself in the Trump presidency. I suppose I can overlook the fact that he beat my former boss, Nancy Johnson, uh, to take a congressional seat. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Amy Klobuchar, Minnesota senator. Uh, she has re-election next year she has to worry about, but she also is going to I- Iowa this weekend to, to give some speeches which, hmm, why would you go to Iowa this early if you're from Minnesota? Hmm. Because you really like corn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or you're setting the seeds for a, uh, for a caucus uh, in 2000. I guess the caucus, the caucus the caucuses would be in 2020 as well, right? Yeah, they start probably around, what, February, March. I can't even remember. I'm so caucus and primary down, I, I just don't want to think about that quite yet. It would be early 2020. Now, 
seeing as how the Democrats didn't do so well in that region of the United States in this last election, perhaps somebody from the Midwest uh, with some clout in the region could carry that area again. Well, I'm actually going to be in Minnesota in about a week and a half, so maybe I'll ask around and see what they think about her. Yeah, get the 411. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Cory Booker is up next. He's a New Jersey uh, senator. What was he? The mayor of uh, Newark. Was it Newark? I was going to say Hoboken. <laughs> no, it's Newark. Um, again, he's new. I, honestly, I mean, he may run. I don't think he'll win. Or Prob- the nomination. Probably not. Uh, you know, I, I think he's got a lot that he can do in the Senate. I, I'm not sure that. I don't know. He's definitely putting the feelers out there. I'm hearing some buzz about him. Uh, I get a ton of emails <laughs> from Cory Booker's <laughs> office, and I don't live in New Jersey, so that tells me something. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure he's the right guy either. You know, historically, governors have done better than senators. They argue governor you know, has run an executive branch within their state. Uh, so Andrew Cuomo, New York governor, um, he, he's hired two fundraisers from Florida, which might be telling. Uh, this this would set up yet another uh, New York versus New York uh, presidential election with Trump and Clinton both being from New York as well. Well, certainly his father, Mario Cuomo, had talked about running for president back in the 1980s, and there were some thoughts of that. Andrew Cuomo himself uh, could be. Again, you know, if he's fundraising in places like Florida now, if he gets an early jump on it, maybe. He's definitely got a name in democratic politics, and he's he's somewhat young and and has some progressive ideas, and he's been working with the state of New York and New York City. Uh, so perhaps, we'll see. But again, to me, for a lot of these people, it's it's too soon to tell. And I wonder if uh, his father might be a detriment now, because uh, if you look back, uh, Mario Cuomo actually ran a good amount of, um, or I don't know if it was commercials or just had a, a sayings that were somewhat homophobic towards Ed Koch. Um, I, won't, I won't repeat them here, but you can go find them. So I, I wonder... Uh, as you look back, whether those things would be dragged back up. Yeah, it was a different time. It was a different time. Um, you, you'll know this better than I. I'm so bad. I meant to look this up. Of course. Is, it, is, it, is it Julian Castro or Julian Castro? Uh, I believe it's Julian Castro. All right. You know, I, I don't want to be culturally insensitive here. Um, he's a former mayor of San Antonio and uh, former secretary of HUD. Uh, rumor was he was... Uh, <laughs> rumor, just like Sean Spicer, rumor. Uh, rumor was he was on the short list of Hillary's VP picks. Definitely a young up-and-comer in Democratic politics. Hispanic could carry the burgeoning Hispanic vote uh, that this country is seeing. So that might be the future of the Democratic Party, you know, the minority vote, the Hispanic vote. If he could capitalize on that, it could bode well. You know, it's amazing how far we've come in such a short amount of time, I I think, personally. Uh, I remember down in the 2000 election going, well, well, people who elect a Jewish vice president, you know, we had a black president, we almost had a woman president, and it's not out of the realm of possibility at all for Hispanic president. So it's, I think that's definitely a step in the right direction as, as much as we don't like what we see in, in current politics today. Absolutely not. Demographic shifts are, are changing this country, and, and we could see change to our electoral politics as well. Um, well, that'll all stop when the wall gets built, I'm sure. All right. Uh, we, we're getting down to the kind of the last couple of years. So we'll go through them quickly. Sherrod Brown, Ohio senator. Um, he was also being investigated by Bannon's consultants. Um, he needs to win a tough reelection race in 2018 first. Um, but he's from Ohio. You know, we, uh, I guess Clinton just barely won Ohio. But, you know, Ohio is a big state. to ha- if, if you're running, and you can guarantee that that's a win for you. Uh, that's a big deal. Right. Always one of those battleground states that the election seems to come down to. It, it's what cost John Kerry the election in 2004. It's always close, perhaps having a, a senator there. But again, he has to win 2018 first to keep his popularity. 
and then maybe going forward, he could. Next of all, Patrick, former uh, Massachusetts governor and DNC chair. He's good buddies with David Axrod, but he's working at Bain Capital now. And, you know, all the crap they gave Romney. I don't know if you could run for president while you're working there. Right. That could hurt, you know, the the capital uh, working in uh, in private industry and especially in that type of private industry could hurt. Uh, You know, he was also a, a friend of President Obama. So he's got that going for him. I'm not sure that he's presidential material. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, uh, former or he's a term limited uh, Virginia governor. I voted for him when I was down in northern Virginia. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of his, but I was definitely not a huge fan of uh, who was running against him. He's close to the Clintons, which I guess could help or could hurt. I don't know. At this point in time, one never knows. You think the Clintons are falling out of favor, but then people love some slick willy. Yeah, you know, Hillary can go away, I guess, as far as the people are concerned, but they, they love Bill. Always have, always will. Yeah, that's a campaign uh, slogan for you right there. (laughs) And finally, uh, Jay Inslee. I actually just heard him on a pod on on Pod Save America, one of our uh, distinguished competition podcasts out there. Uh, He's a a Washington governor, former congressman. And it really sounded like he wasn't saying it, but he wasn't not saying it uh, that uh, that he might be running. I mean, he's I think had like a decade or so in Congress. Uh, He had two terms as Washington governor. Uh, He was one of the people leading the charge against the uh, Trump travel ban. Well, I think he would be one of those undercard people that, you know, much like the 2016 election, the Republicans, you know, you have like 15 people running uh, in the early months of the campaign and you have a two-tiered debate structure where you you have the top 10 get to participate in the primetime <laughs> debate and the other guys are, you know, debating at five o'clock in the afternoon. So I don't know. I don't know enough about Inslee, to be honest, to, to kind of give my prediction. Well, we'll see as the, uh, as the field starts to become a little more clear in the next year or so. Where to go? Okay, so we thank you for sticking with us as we went through some of the possible and improbable people to uh, run for president in 2020. So that leads us to uh, one of our most popular segments, of course, Kevin's Corner. Well, Jesse, as Thomas Jefferson eloquently described in the Declaration of Independence, we're endowed by our Creator with unalienable rights. These are rights of all humans that transcend any man made political boundaries. The right to health and the care necessary to keep it is a basic human right. Those in Congress who voted in support of repealing the Affordable Care Act have forgotten their most sacred responsibility of upholding the rights of all Americans, especially those most in need. It is easy for those not in danger of losing access to the care that they are entitled to make decisions about those who stand to lose. Congressmen and women who face angry crowds in their home districts have cried foul and feel that they are being set up or ambushed by the backlash of the affordable of the American Health Care Act. Perhaps they are finally facing tangible consequences for their actions. Well, thank you, Kevin. That was lovely as always. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank our listeners. Uh, you know who you are. I'm talking to you. Yes, you, uh, for listening to us once again. Uh, and make sure to go to our website at www.grabthembythepod.com. You can find all of our social media links, all of our podcast links there, uh, anything you need to know about us. Uh, and on top of that, we will see you next time. Thanks so much, Kevin. Later. Later.